morning, everybody. Hey, so for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Nick, uh, and together with Chris, who was on keys this morning, uh, we are the senior pastors here, and it is our privilege to get to lead this community of people into a vision to see Ashford transformed. So if you are new or visiting this morning, thank you for trusting us with your Sunday morning. Um, We hope that you've been made to feel really welcome. So we are actually at the end of a second part of a two-parter. I don't know what that's called, a mini-series, shall we call it? Um, Looking at a passage in the book of Colossians in the Bible, which is a letter written by Paul to the church back in Colossus. And Chris actually had the really tricky bit last week. So Chris had to speak all about this passage that says, these are the things that are not good for you. Kick them into touch, like get rid of this stuff in your life. It's really, really not good. And then I get to speak today on all the great stuff, like, but how about this? And how about if you lived like this instead? And what would that look like? And how could your environment and your everywhere you go be transformed as you choose to clothe yourself with good things? So to recap what Chris said, the beginning of the passage um, that we read last week said, fill your hearts and minds with things above. Or one translation said, fill your hearts and minds with heavenly realities. Chris was speaking about the fact that when we walk into a situation, we can ask the question, if this doesn't exist in heaven, I shouldn't expect to have to see it exist on earth. So if you walk into a situation with a friend who's really sick, sickness doesn't happen in heaven. So therefore, we can look at that situation and say, this is not how God has designed it and planned it, because this is not a heavenly reality. And then we can declare a heavenly reality on earth. And that is how we get to live as sons and daughters. But what he did say, which is very important, is that this is not something we can do by trying harder. You just can't try your way into being loved when it comes to God. It's not about your performance or your effort. It's not about, well, I'm a bad person if, and I'm a good person if. It's actually about being loved and chosen already and then choosing to fill your hearts and minds with what God is like as a father and what he says about you. It's that way round. So we're going to read the next bit of the passage, which if you have a Bible, a phone, an app, whatever means you read the Bible on or the screen, then have a look behind me. It's Colossians 3, 12 to 17. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, as I've read this, I've been very aware, often when you're preparing to speak on something, it's like a bit of a magnifying glass during the week or the two weeks before. And I would say that I consider myself largely to be quite a kind and compassionate and gentle and patient person. It it turns out, when you're really aware of these things, you're maybe not 
not so much of those things as you think. And I would suggest that for most of us sat here, we would say, I'm a pretty kind person. I'm quite patient. You know, I'm quite humble. I'm quite gentle. But I would suggest, what would it feel like if I now told you that secretly I'd been filming you for the last 48 hours and that we were going to play it on the big screen behind and we were going to watch the last 48 hours of your life unfold on the screen behind me. Now, some of you may think, crack on, I've been very holy for the last 48 hours and uh, I have nothing to hide. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, oh my word, if they saw that conversation, if they saw that moment, oh my word, if they saw the way that I muttered under my breath as I walked away, that I would just feel like, oh. And I think this is the thing. We sometimes think that if you are here and you've said you're yes to Jesus or you would call yourself a Christian, we can sometimes think we've got the monopoly on what living well looks like. And I wonder whether we're actually not doing so well as we think because largely my experience of it is we try to do those things because we're trying hard and we know that's what we should do. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there is a new way of seeing more of these things happen in your life, and it is not through effort. And for me, I grew up in church. I was very aware of the mandate of what a Christian life looked like. I should be kind. I shouldn't be angry. I should be patient. I shouldn't speak badly about people. It's like these lists that you have in your head of, well, this is what a Christian looks like, and this is what it isn't. And therefore, you end up with this really warped narrative that says, I should do this, so therefore, if I'm kind, I'm okay. If I lose it, I'm not okay. If I'm patient, I'm okay. If I'm impatient, I'm not okay. Or even worse still, this really warped narrative that says, if I'm compassionate, God loves me. If I'm kind, God loves me. If I'm angry, God doesn't love me. If I speak badly about people, God doesn't love me. If I drink too much, God doesn't love me. And you end up with this narrative that is a conditional way of looking at what God's love looks like. If this, then this, but if this, no, not so much. And so what ends up happening is when we try and achieve these virtues by performing and trying, we will always come face to face with ourselves. And that is the biggest problem, that the more we try, the more we put our effort in, and then you suddenly you have a, a moment, a bad moment, and then you suddenly, the guilt, the shame, the shoulds, the shouldn'ts all come in and they cloud your vision of what God is like. But I think there is a key in the very first verse of this passage we've just talked about, which is, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Have you noticed how it comes first? It doesn't say, clothe yourselves with blah, 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 blah. And if you do, you will be chosen and dearly loved. It's not that right round. It says, you're already chosen and dearly loved. And because you are, how about adopting this way of living? How about doing this? Because you're already chosen and dearly loved. It's not a conditional thing where you have to earn God's love. And this is something that God is definitely teaching me at the moment. Because if not, it's just religion. And frankly, religion just sucks. Religion sucks because all it is is form without power. That is one definition of religion. It's just rules without relationship. 
Religion says you're as good as your next action. Religion says you're as good as the film that's going to play over your next 48 hours. Some of you genuinely look anxious. I've done no <laughs> filming of anybody in the last 48 hours. Religion says that. But relationship says, I've watched the whole film of the 48 hours and I love you and I love you and I love you. It's a completely different way of seeing things. So that's one of the keys of living a different way is first understanding who we are and who God says we are. But there's another key that I've been discovering this week. And that is at the end of the passage where it talks about gratitude. And actually Chris mentioned it in the worship this morning. The message translation of this passage talks about cultivating thankfulness. Now, I love science. I'm a big science geek. I did a Bachelor of Science at university. My favorite module at university was neuroanatomy. I love the brain. And what I really love is when science catches up with the Bible. So, like, what some people say is like, oh, you're either in the science camp or the Bible camp. Well, I would suggest that you can love both. And actually, they really do reinforce one another. So here's a brilliant example of how the Bible, a long, long, long time ago, says something and then science has caught up. So here's a little science lesson for you. The limbic system is the part of the brain where all the parts of emotion are dealt with. So in those, you've got these different places, and the hippocampus and the amygdala, bear with, big words, are the places where it regulates your emotions, your memory, and your bodily function. Here's what science has found. Those parts of the brain are activated when people are feeling grateful. They're activated, and the consistent evidence has established that these feelings and emotions that happen and mental health, people with mental health difficulties have found that when they've done studies and they've lent into gratitude, people who are more grateful recover quicker from mental illness. People who are grateful, they did a study in 2005 of people who were receiving counselling and half the group, they got to journal things they were grateful for throughout the process and the other half, they got to journal their negative experiences as a way of kind of getting it all out. It may not come as a surprise that the people who journaled all the things they were grateful for came off medication quicker, needed less counselling and recovered quicker. The people who journaled their negative experiences remained poorly for longer and didn't make the recovery. And what's this got to do with like not being angry and not being, showing malice? Well, here's a brilliant study. In 2012, Study participants who ranked higher on gratitude scales were less likely to retaliate against other people when they were given negative feedback. They experienced more sensitivity and empathy towards other people and a decreased desire to seek revenge. Just by being grateful, just by leaning into gratitude, people were less aggressive. So here's the thing, like, if we look at it like a trying experiment, the passage that Chris looked at said, you know, don't be angry, throw off anger, throw off malice, throw off bad language. And if we're trying and then someone acts like a complete idiot in front of us, actually, what will come out is the stuff which has just been bubbling up, but we're doing the whole, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm really trying. And then something happens and it's boom, it all comes out. But instead, when you set your heart on things above, when you lean in and set your affection on who God is and what he's like and all that he's done for you, 
When someone acts or behaves badly in front of you, you suddenly have a new resilience to see them through his eyes. And suddenly you don't have to try so hard. And for me, I only have to just spend a few moments leaning into all God has done for me. All that, you know, God has forgiven me of things I, in the natural, have been hugely ashamed of. But it says in the Bible, those who have forgiven much love much, and that is definitely my experience. That when I look at someone else and think, I don't want to forgive them, it's like I can feel God asking me to lean in and say, Nick, talk to me about what forgiveness has looked like in your life. What am I like at that? And suddenly it's a bit easier because it's not about performing, it's about being grateful and then using that gratitude as a way of treating other people differently. So what would it look like if everyone here filled their hearts and minds with heavenly realities? What would interactions and conversations look like? What would your posting on social media look like? What would it look like if, as Chris spoke about last week, he gave a brilliant example of someone coming up to you and slagging off your kids and how it makes you feel? Now, if someone comes up to you and slags off your kids, Actually, as a parent, you might be the first person to be able to give an honest appraisal of your child's shortfalls. However, you will also be the first person to be able to draw the gold out and see the essence of who they are and that that behaviour doesn't define them and who they are. So the next time you see Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn on the telly and you have a whole range of emotions bubbling up inside you about what you think or don't think about Brexit, why don't you ask God how he sees them as his sons? Because do you know what? They're his sons too. They're his sons. Whether you like it or not, you're brothers and sisters with these people that do your head in sometimes. And I know we can't always get along with all our siblings. I'm not suggesting we should all the time. But do you know what? There's a different mindset when we look at other people as God's children too. Rather than take the moral high ground and feel like it is our job to give an opinion about how they're doing and how they're living. Brene Brown is a brilliant writer and speaker, and she has a a core value that says she tries to find the face of God in everybody she meets. And then she, I was listening to an audio book of hers the other day, and she said it was so hard for people she didn't like or agree with that she changed her core value for one day to, I'm going to try and find the face of God in the people I like and agree with. (laughs) And, uh, And then she said, it turned out it made her just a horrible person. It was just, she was just a horrible person for that day because actually it's easy to find the face of God in the people we love and we like, but it's not so easy to find it in the people we disagree with and we don't like. And yet, do you know what? God looks on every single one of us and says, that's my son, that's my daughter. Let me deal with their hearts. You need to fix your hearts and minds on things above, not on their behavior and what's getting in the way. And a small soapbox I will stand on this morning, just a small one, is about Kanye West. I don't know if any of you have been reading in the press lately about Kanye West. Kanye West is described as the most influential rap artist of all time. To give you some idea, he has 29.3 million followers on Twitter. So this guy's proper influential, okay? 
Turns out he's had an encounter with Jesus and he's decided to release an album called Jesus is King, which is now number one in the billboard charts in America. Every track is about Jesus and every single track on the album is in the top 100 on the American billboard. No prizes for guessing. Who do you think are the people that are most having a go at him online and dragging him down? It's the Christians. Oh, this man is influencing 29.3 million people who are singing the words, Jesus is King, Jesus is King, over and over. And rather than celebrating with him, well, well, I'm not sure about his faith. I think think it's just a way of selling records. So what? What if it is? What if it is? Do you know what? Kanye West isn't perfect, but wow, he's using a platform. He's using his platform to talk about something he believes in. And suddenly as Christians, there is this, one article was Christian slam Kanye West's new album. Oh, and what, I just, the reason I get so cross is I think, do you know what's so sad? It, it is potentially the Christians who will bring him down, tear him down and derail his faith. And then he may fall or act in a way which is very unlike Jesus. And instead of crying and weeping uh, over the loss of influence for the kingdom that he has, there'll be a, well, told you so. Told you. Knew it wasn't real faith. So what are we doing instead in this passage? It says, have gentleness, have humility. Do you know what? If, you, if you're unsure about Kanye West and his conversion and, you know, the things he's done in his past, you only need to read the Bible. The Bible is full of people who really screwed up all the time. And God says, they're my kids and I'm going to use them to change the world. So let's think about what we're saying with our words. Let's think about how we're choosing our words. I love the figurative language of clothe yourself with love. Clothing doesn't come onto your body accidentally. You notice that? You don't wake up in the morning and do this and suddenly you're clothed. You have to intentionally put your clothes on. You have to pick what you're going to wear and then you have to intentionally put it on. And in this passage, it's so true. We have to choose to clothe ourselves with humility. We have to choose to clothe ourselves with love. We have to choose to clothe ourselves with patience. We get to choose to clothe ourselves with those things but it has to be intentional. How do we do that? How do we make it easier instead of just trying? Like my old way was really ineffective. And that was try harder, try harder, try harder, make a mistake, feel terrible, feel ashamed, feel like a bad Christian, feel like God may be really disappointed with me. Try harder, try harder, try harder. That was my old cycle. If you're in that cycle, just stop it. It's rubbish. I can tell you now from like, in terms of having tried it for many, many years, it doesn't work and it's not sustainable. But instead, leaning in, clothing myself in patience and gentleness looks like worship. It looks like reading the Bible. It looks like prayer. It looks like inviting God to show me what he thinks of the person in front of me. It looks like getting on my knees over Brexit rather than just getting really angry with people over it. It looks like leaning in to what God's nature is like and inviting him to pour that into me. There's a brilliant verse in the Bible that says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you filling your heart with? 
Because if you're filling it with resentment and bitterness and pain and hurt and shame and guilt, that's what's going to come out. But why not fill it with all the wonderful things that God says about you as a child? And why not fill it with all the wonderful things about him as a father? Because for me, when we clothe ourselves like that, it is like a greenhouse for growing encounter with Jesus. If as a community of people, we clothed ourselves with these things, I think Ashford would be completely transformed. And it's already starting. It's already starting. What would your family life look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your kids' schools look like? If we chose to clothe ourselves with these things every day, not by effort, but by leaning into what God is like as a father. I'm going to finish with a story um, from a guy called Charles Anderson, uh, who wrote a book called Random Thoughts of an Old Man. And he wrote this book for his children and grandchildren. And effectively, he's just this man who just documented his life and all the things that had happened in it. And the story that I'm about to tell you, I think, sums up what can happen when somebody clothes themselves with compassion, humility, kindness, patience, and love, and was absolutely life-changing for one lady. So this guy used to be a taxi driver in New York, and he got to his last call of the day, got outside, honked the horn, nobody came out. And uh, so he made the decision at that point to go to the door. Rather than honk again and get annoyed and drive off, he went to the door. And he climbed the steps of this apartment block, and he opened the door, and a lady in her 80s stood at the door um, with a suitcase next to her. And, and he said, and she said, oh, thank you for not driving away. And he said, oh, I'd like to think um, that someone would treat my mother well if, if you were my mother. And so anyway, he looked behind her and he could see in this house that the furniture was all covered in white sheets and she was just stood with this suitcase and she, he helps her to the car and puts her case in the car and he asks her where she wants to go and she gives him the address of a local hospice. And then what she says to him is, could you drive downtown to get there um, because I'm in no hurry. And the conversation starts and it turns out that this lady has not been given long to live, but she is the last surviving member of her family. And so he is driving her on her last drive before she goes to the hospice. And this is how he describes the drive. He says, for the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow down in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness saying nothing. At the first hint of sun, as the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go now. And we drove in silence to the address that she had given me. And he describes arriving at the hospice and having the nurses come out. And she hugged him and she said, you have given an old lady some joy today. And then this is how he sums up his experience. He says, on a quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments. But great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. That story speaks of one by one by one, one hamper at a time, as Vic said, one act of kindness from thousand hours, 
one by one by one. But do you know the saddest thing when I read that story is I had to imagine if it were my last job of the day and I was sat there and wanted to get home, would I have waited? Would I have got out the car and gone and opened the door? Would I have taken the time to drive around the city for two hours? On a good day, I'd love to think I would. But a reality for me is that very often I am not interruptible in my day. And I miss these moments sometimes because I'm not leaning in and filling my heart and mind with the things above and the opportunities in front of me. I would encourage you as you go about your week, intentionally clothe yourself with patience and kindness and compassion, not through effort or performance, but by leaning into who he is and what he says about you because it will change your life, but I also believe there are many other ladies like this in Ashford who are different situations that need to be seen, and they're probably waiting for you to see them. So let's stand and we'll pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you are infinitely kind. You are infinitely compassionate. You are infinitely patient with us that you laid your son's life down so that we could know what it is to be adopted as sons and daughters. Help us, Father, to clothe ourselves with those virtues that we would be great representatives of what you're like. Help us to choose patience. Help us to choose kindness. Help us to draw away from the things that get in the way of us spending time with you and instead prioritize those moments where we can fill our tanks, where we can fill our hearts and minds with heavenly realities. And as we do that, give us the boldness to act upon those moments. Even when we feel out of our depth and ill-equipped. And Father, I thank you that there is so much to be grateful for. Help us adopt a posture of gratitude in every situation we walk into. Help us be a people hallmarked by gratitude and thanksgiving. And that out of that would flow a love for people that represents what you're like. Thank you, Father. And just as we just keep our eyes closed for a moment, we always love to give an opportunity. If you are here this morning and you have never said yes to a relationship with Jesus, you have um, never said, do you know what? I want, I'm all in. I want to find out what this God is like. I want to find out if this is true and he really is that kind and compassionate and he's not the stick-wielding God that I thought he was, then I would love to know him. So I would just invite you just to close your eyes where you are. And if that's you this morning and you're saying, I want to say yes to being in a relationship with that kind of a father, then just where you're stood now, just give me a wave um, and we've got, a little gift for you and we'd love to just have a chat with you afterwards thank you God for who you are and what you say about us help us to know it as a truth today and let it transform us thank you Father Amen thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it for more information visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.